today. We thank you for uh, this this time that we have together to study your word, to delve a little deeper into the types and shadows that you've given us in the Old Testament that point to Christ and his work, and that it's finished, and that he is seated on the throne, ruling and reigning over the universe, and and is gathering to himself a people that he has um, called and is building and shaping into a living temple. It's an amazing thing that we are caught up in. And we ask that you would, again, give us the, the hope that we have in him, that even though the world around us, the temporary, is chaotic, that you are... Uh, building, organizing, subduing, increasing, guarding, and keeping your church. We pray that you continue to do that individually and corporately here at Sylvania and all of our sister churches over the world, that you would reign supreme in our hearts and that we would be obedient and um, not out of a sense of fear, but out of love for you, prizing you above all else vies for our attention and our action. So we, we ask that your Spirit do that again in us this morning through the ministry of your Word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We are in Exodus chapter 39, and we're starting um, in verse 32. We have this week and next week um, to finish... To finish out the book, and then we'll do a little wrap-up. So in the next couple of weeks or so, we'll be done with Exodus, and I am very excited. And then I'm going to Leviticus, and I'm really excited. All right, but I'm excited about this morning. Yes, we'll do a Shiloh wrap-up. No pun intended. All right. Verse 32, let's move on. Verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ram skins and goat skins, and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set and all its utensils, and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, and the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons and their service as priests, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel 
had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work. And behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. So they, so had they done it. <laughs> then Moses blessed them. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and arrange it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water, and put on Aaron the holy garments, and you shall anoint him and consecrate him that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them and anoint them as you anoint their father that they may serve me as priests. And their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. We'll stop there. So the work on building the elements of the tabernacle is complete. And now the Hebrews are bringing all of the parts that they have manufactured and produced to Moses for approval. This is their presentation of the work that they have done to Moses. Uh, first thing to note in verses 32, uh, verse 32 of chapter 39 um, we get one last list of all the items that were produced by the work of the Hebrews. Nothing else was constructed. This is it. All of this was constructed according to the word of the Lord. Second, notice in verses 32 and 42. Notice what it says. And the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And again in 42 it says, According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. We've talked before about when the Old Testament uses these repeating phrases at different sections, uh, beginning and ending. It's, it's called a, the smart folks called it inclusio. It shows a, a section of beginning and ending. Why do you think that this statement is used as an inclusio for, for right? Why do you think he's drawing this out? So is that, is that what the... Yes. I thought so. Uh, there is an element here of repentance. Uh, what would they be repenting for? You think so? That's very astute of you, Ty. Uh, there was a sin that had happened. They had fallen. Here you see a comparison of what... Uh, of the time in which they had done everything God told them not to do the golden calf incident. And now there's a comparison with 
them doing everything that he told them to do in preparing the tabernacle. It's a sign of their repentance and restoration before God in the covenant. They're obedient to him fully, no more, no less, exactly as he had said. <clears throat> Except why did they, how did they get there? Yes, they did, didn't they? Um, there's a sense in which the construction of the tabernacle displays a contrast to their fall with the golden calf. All right, this, this inclusio that begins in verse 32 leads right into verse 33. And notice the language of verse 33. What does it say? Moses did what? What does it say? It's right there. You're talking in verse 33? Ver 43, sorry. Okay, so verse 43. Like they brought things to Moses? Yes, sorry. Verse 43. The last one. 40, 42 leads word. into 43. Yeah. He saw. And then, you behold, behold. and then he blessed them. He saw that the work was finished and he blessed them. Saw. It was done. Blessed. Does that remind you of anything? Does that bring to mind any other scene? Creation. What do, what, what do you say that? God saw that it was good and rested. He saw that it was good it rested when he finished creating, uh, well, the birds and the fish, the, the creatures of the sea, creatures of the heavens. He blessed them, be fruitful and multiply. When he finished man, he said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Uh, increase. Guard and keep. Remember those? Genesis 1 and 2 is in view here. A lot of the smart guys make this observation that there appears to be a conscious effort by Moses to frame this scene in terms of the creation narrative. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Any ideas? That's exactly what's going on. If, if this is true, if he's consciously reframing this in terms of the creation event, this is a recreation for Israel. They had fallen. God gave a command. They fell. And here we have him forgiving them through grace and commissioning them to... Uh, well, he's doing a work through them, right? He gives them the, the skill and the labor and the wisdom to do it. Uh, and the parallel is to their redemption after their fall with the cash cow. And, this, and there, it's a recreation account. God is among his people as in the beginning. What's the picture in the tabernacle? What, do we, what have we seen? What, what does it remind us of? Garden. There's a lot, of, a lot of elements of Eden are in the tabernacle itself. And so you have here, again, a picture of a restoration, a recreation, and God dwelling with his people. That's where it's going at the end of chapter 40. And if you've read ahead, you know there's a huge theophany at the end that is referenced again and again all throughout Scripture. So after he created, he saw and blessed. What was his next? Thinking back in Genesis 1 and 2, 
What was his next action with respect to man? He had, this new, he had this new creation God makes. What does he do? What's his next action? Did he create man? He creates man, and then what does he do after he creates man? Well, what's the next? Yes, but what's the next thing that happens in, in the order that we're given? Well, he, he commands them, yes? Increase, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. There's a command that God gives, right? Similarly, here we see Moses accepting what they've done, a finished work, and then God gives a command. Moses, as representative of, 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 of God before the people, sees and blesses the finished work of the people, and his next action here is to command them. What's the command? What's the command of God here? Verse, uh, chapter 40. To put up the tabernacle, to erect the tabernacle, to assemble it, basically. I mean, all the material's there, right? They've already built it. The work is finished. It just needs to be gathered together, put in place. Erected, the people need to be uh, who are going to be serving in there need to be uh, consecrated and, and anointed for service. He commands them to erect the tabernacle, to increase the sanctuary of his presence, to subdue the chaos outside by creating a distinction between what is holy and unholy, what is common and uncommon, to set apart priests to guard it from outside influences and to keep it from within. What three things does he command? Well, first, he commands where we're going to put the stuff. And how did, what order does he address these? Inside out. He starts with what? The ark. the ark, which is the most holy piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And he moves outward into the, the, uh, the holy place, the, the lampstand, the table, the, the altar of incense. Then he moves out further with the, the, the bronze altar and the water basin and all the stuff that goes outside. So you're seeing outside, uh, inside out, where to put the furniture. Then what does he do? What does he command? You got it in place, what do you do with it? You anoint it, you consecrate it. You, you have a ceremony that anoints the furniture that's there and this is fulfilling commands that they've already been given in chapter 30, uh, verses 22 through 33. What's the third thing they're supposed to do? Aaron and his sons are supposed to do what? They're to be brought to the entrance and... Washed, consecrated, anointed, set apart. Again, fulfilling the commands that they were given in chapter 29, verses 1 through, through 9. When do they do this? When are they to do this? What day? First day, first day of the first month. First day of the first month. Now, what does that sound like? January 1st. <laughs> January 1st. Again, this date, it's a new beginning for them. That's exactly right. It's a new beginning for them. The, the, created, uh, the creating of the pieces is finished, and the first order of business of the new creation is to assemble it and set it apart for the presence of God. That's what's in view. That's the whole point. The thing has been, the work is finished. All the materials are there. 
They've been bought and assembled and, and manufactured, and there it is. And now it is God's command that the people then assemble it together. What's the picture here? It's not ready until it's put together. Right? I mean, we've got all the elements, but they're scattered everywhere. They're not assembled the way God wants them to be. They're just kind of scattered. It's not ready until it's put together. Right. Would see them, but they were allowed to craft them because it was God who, who made them holy, not, right. not the materials. That so they're manufactured at God's command, at God's direction, by His power and wisdom, but He uses the means of the, the, the people to do it. And these guys who are building it are never going to see it again once it's in the tent. God makes it holy by His decree, by His ceremony of anointing and sacrifice and what's going on there. The structure must be set apart with the anointing of oil. It's got to be set apart. They've got to go through this process of, of showing it's distinct. The priest must be washed, anointed, and consecrated for service. The foundation's been laid. All the stuff is there, but there's still work to do in assembling it. What does that remind you of? There's the garden issue. God creates it all. He, he commands man to, to subdue it, increase, garden, keep. Yeah? What else does it remind you of? Man has a responsibility as well. Okay. Like we, we are made and we are justified. We're born again. Mm -hmm. But we still have to go through the process of work. We're still, we're still working on this earth. We have a part to play. There's stuff to do. The work is finished, right? The last word, the last major statement of Christ. It is finished. The material's been bought. The foundation's been laid. Yes? His finished work is the recreation. The new creation is the new humanity of those recreated in Christ. The new tabernacle, which is the church. Um, Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. The, the chaos that we were has been subdued. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's, there's that Eden increased again. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone He's already laid it. The foundation's there. The stuff is bought and built. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Increased. And then he adds this odd little add-on. Verse 22. In him you also are being built together into a, whole, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, first notice in Ephesians 2.22, that there's a great argument right there for the Trinity, for you guys that like to get into arguments with people. There it is. In Him, you also are being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
three persons of the Trinity, all involved in the building of this new creation, this new temple. And each person of the Godhead has a part in it, in Him. How does that happen? It's the redemptive work that Christ has done. He's laid the foundation. It's finished. The dwelling place for God the Father. What is this? This is His plan. This has always been His plan. From before the foundation of the world, we learn in Ephesians 1. By the Spirit. What's going on there? The work isn't done. The assembly is still happening. There's a sense in which it's finished. There's a sense in which it is finishing. And there's a sense in which it will be finished. We're continuing. We are saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. Right? Isn't that the, the picture of the New Testament? Exactly. There's a, there is a tension that you see in Scripture. If I'm declared righteous, why am I not righteous? Why don't I act like it? Right? But I know that I have a hope one day I will be. I'm saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved. There's still work to be done even though the foundation's been accomplished. There's an assembly that has to happen. There's, um, there's an ongoing effort by His people to build the tabernacle, and it's by the Spirit. God is doing the work. We work because He's working in us. The materials are purchased. The foundation's been laid. Take what is outside the tent and place it where it needs to go. Bring those whom I've called to myself and set them apart for service. That's still the ongoing work we're doing. Christ has finished the work. He's purchased the stuff, and it's, it is God's work in us to build it and assemble it, and erect the new temple, the new tabernacle. So then you get this question. So if God's already determined who are the materials, He's already bought and purchased who the materials are, why bother evangelizing? We don't know who they are. That's an answer. It's a good answer. Why bother to do the stuff? Why bother to share the gospel at Starbucks on a Saturday night? He ordains the means as well as the ends. Okay. And just like the people who, who built the, the pieces of the tabernacle, if they had just left them all scattered on the ground and hadn't gone to the effort of putting them together, there mm. wouldn't have been a tabernacle. God commands that they put it together. So it was their act of obedience to, to right. build he could have put it together himself. Right. He condescends to allow us to be a part of it. The other thing is, if, if God has predestined those who are going to be part of the church and, and, and built into the tabernacle, I bother to evangelize because it really doesn't matter. Well, my response to that typically, in, in very humble fashion, I try, I really do, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Um, it depends on him. He's bought it. Christ's blood purchased the people that he's drawing to himself. Why wouldn't you call them out? Why wouldn't you seek them? There's an old... Uh, I, I haven't watched Looney Tunes in a long time. But uh, 
but uh, what's his name? Um, the guy with the pickaxe. That, that, uh, Yosemite Sam. There's gold in them that are hills. And he finds the, there's, God has purchased them in Christ. He's purchased the materials to build the temple. And, he, and we're going out and finding it. Bringing it into the, there's gold in them that, why wouldn't you dig? Why wouldn't you? Sometimes you're going to hit a rock. Sometimes you hit gold. Why wouldn't you? He's already bought it. The furniture is built. In a sense, he's tasked us with putting it in place. The people are appointed. And in a sense, we've been commissioned to find them and be a means of sanctifying them in the truth. We have a mandate from God. The, the, the materials have been built. They've been presented. God has seen and been satisfied with the work that Christ has done and shown it by raising him from the dead. And then a command is given. What's the command? Go to all the earth. Preach the gospel, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed the high priestly prayer. The mandate is go and build it. Be a part of the assembly. I have great confidence in sharing the gospel that those who have been appointed by God will respond to the call to come. That he will do the work of recreation in them as he has done the work of recreation in me. That he will wash them as he has washed me. That he will anoint them as he has anointed me. He's already bought them. We just have to go out and find them by indiscriminately, some have used the word promiscuously, <laughs> proclaiming the gospel to whoever will listen. There's a promise that it will be effective for the purpose for which God has intended it. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That's the promise. And we know it's going to happen because he said, heaven and earth pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's an assembly. We should have great confidence in the success of the gospel because the glory of God himself is at stake. He's put his name to it. This is going to happen. So the command is to assemble it. And that's assemble it individually as we subdue the chaos in our own hearts, the residual rebellion in our own hearts, as we seek to increase Christ's likeness in our character and how we live and move and, and relate to one another. The, the temple motif is, is an individual thing. God dwells in me. My, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's also a corporate thing. The church is the temple of God, the tabernacle of God. And we seek to increase it, to subdue the chaos outside, to guard it and keep it. The command is to assemble it. Any, any comments on that? I've gone on a monologue. How does that change the way you view life? How should that affect how we relate to one another. If, if my um, understanding is that 
I'm in assembly mode and that everything I do is temple work and that the command is to, to, to increase Christ-likeness in, in myself and among the body of Christ and to, to move that outward beyond the walls, to increase the, the, the tent pegs, so to speak. If, if, that, if that's the command, if that's where I am, shouldn't everything be characterized by that? Shouldn't all of life, shouldn't the way I eat, oh. should that be submitted to the Lordship of Christ? Should, shouldn't my patterns of sleep, shouldn't how I deal with finances, shouldn't how I deal with, uh, with, with forgiveness and, and repentance toward one another's, all the one another's that we have in the New Testament, shouldn't that be in context of, I'm doing this as a holy service assembling the tabernacle. Isn't that really the, the motive behind what we're doing? Is, is the glory of God in the assembly of what he's doing in the new creation? So we should be about living lives that are sacrificially holy, set apart, consecrated in obedience to all that he has commanded. And that is, um, that's the picture I see out of this. I mean, you may see others. There are probably a jillion others that you pull from. Yeah? What were the rest of the people doing? What were the rest about of the people digging the latrines and baking the bread and all that stuff? The people that didn't have the assembly job. Yeah. There, there were people supporting the ones who were doing Right. The, they were involved in it. They were involved, yeah, but... I mean, there's a lot of people. Sure. So So everything they were doing was not necessarily touching the fabric, but But what they were doing went to support. Is that that the point you made? Yeah. I think it's a good point. The stuff that we feel is mundane. Right. That's a good point. Like when when somebody comes in and does the wafers and the plate Mm. on the first Sunday of the month, no one sees that. Right. But But we know when it's not done. We know when it's not done. (laughs) We know uh, we know when we run out, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think has ever happened. I'm not saying it has, but <laughs> but um, but yeah, all of those things, all the little things that you know, it's not just Aaron that's serving. It's not just Aaron that's assembling the, t- the tabernacle. It's the whole community is involved in it. Right. All the mundane. We have very we have a very mundane religion. <coughs> you think about it. Christianity, it's not. It's very ordinary. Yes, and yet in, in that in that ordinariness, it's radical, and that it's unique. Talking about the, the temple and building it up, I, I can't help but think of John 17 again, mm-hmm. which is that's another issue altogether. But it's, it's a totally mind-boggling passage, where especially where Christ says that 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 they is us that we may be one even as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. Mm-hmm. He prayed for, for that for us. Mm-hmm. So he wants us to be, to love each other like the Trinity loves each other. Hmm. How radical is that? Pretty, and, and it, pretty radically ordinary. It's like, wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, how do we do that? And so, But we, we do it through Christ. And that also he says that we, we'll do this, that that the world may know 
that you have sent me. Mm -hmm. That idea of the, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Mm -hmm. We we do it. We love each other and we we proclaim the gospel um, to show to show the world Christ. And yeah, it's hard, but uh, it's it's a great task. It is, and you know, I know that whenever uh, there are times whenever you, you you come up on a situation where you know, now would probably be a good time to share the gospel. Uh, how do I start this? How do I begin this? And it, it, there's this, I think, a fear that we get into sometimes of, um, there, if I say something wrong, they're going to reject it. And if I say something wrong, then I will have failed in sharing the gospel. Um, I have become persuaded through the years that that, that is uh, not the right approach. God doesn't call us to numbers. I mean, we're supposed to read numbers and we'll get there eventually, but God has not called us to increase numbers. That's not our job. He does that increase. God gives the increase, Paul says, or, or Jesus says. Wait, no, Paul says. Yes, <laughs> the Word of God says. Um, and, but we're called to be faithful in the assembly, we're called to be faithful in doing the means that we're given, whether it's something that is known and something that's unknown, something that's that is um, that is uh, you know uh, serving at the mercy seat, or something that is taking out the fat from the dripping pans at the at the bronze altar. Whatever, it's all temple service, and we're to be faithful in where we're called and what we're to do, and just open the mouth and share what Christ has done and what He's calling. It's not an invitation, it's a command. Repent and believe the Gospel. And we're to be about proclaiming that faithfully. And if, if the Holy Spirit's going to move in somebody, you'll, you'll see the response of that. It may take time for them to respond. You may, it may be a, a, a work that's ongoing. But have great confidence in the, in the effective work of the gospel. He's promised that it will be effective. And you may never see it. And you may never you see may it. You may get flat out rejected and then years later they remember. Yeah, that's true. So so how will you know you're successful? You don't need to know you're successful. You need to know you're faithful. You right, very good. So this kind of applies to that. Not really, but I'm just trying to find some segue to it. Um, and Is it going to be a helpful segue? Yes. Okay, it, kind of in your own mind or for all of us? So in chapter 15, it says a uh, perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. It talks about uh, Aaron. Uh -huh. And there was a little textual note, so I started following it. And it took me to Numbers uh, 25, and it was talking about Phineas. And then Phineas had like the jealousy of God and was jealous for the mm -hmm. for God's ways. Mm -hmm. So then he said he was going to bless his generation. So then it took you to... First Chronicles 6, where it goes through all this awesome lineage of these names that nobody can pronounce, and it ended with um, Zehozadak, and it says, uh, went, and Zehozadak went into exile when the Lord sent Judah and Jerusalem into exile by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So then it went through the whole Nebuchadnezzar thing, and he destroyed everything, blah, blah, and then it takes you to Ezra 3, um, 3, 2, and when they're re re rebuilding the altar, it says, when the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered uh, as one man in Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Zehozadak, 
and then the fellow priest and Drewville. And anyway, so it started here and it went through all this stuff. And like you were saying, like we're, we just have to remain faithful. Well, all these uh, children of Aaron and Phineas and Jehozadak, and like none of them are like big players in this, but it comes back to Ezra and then they rebuilt the altar and it was just all the lineage of, mm. of Aaron. Uh, Tammy mentioned. Tammy mentioned something. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to try to work off of that. Tammy. Uh, Tammy mentioned something uh, this morning. We were going. I, we actually did talk about this before. I got. It's amazing. We're married, and so every time, every now and then, that happens. Um, that we actually talk about stuff. That's it. Sometimes. Um, so um, we were talking about the Ephesians uh, passage, and and where it says built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, and I think the point that you brought out was that it's a, it's a generational thing. Each generation builds on the generation before, and the faithfulness of that generation leads to what the generation after builds. Is that? Yeah, well, I, I would, yes, and I, but that, and then, and that's why I was like, why is that verse 22 there? Because he just said, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And to me, it seems like it was saying there's a historical context in which you, you are built on the foundation of those who came before you. And we talked about this before. And mm-hmm. then in verse 22, in him, you also are being built together mm-hmm. right now. You're being built with other believers around you locally and worldwide into a dwelling place for God right here and now. Mm -hmm. And so there's a historical context that's important to remember those who came before us, both who we may read and both in our own personal lives who Mm -hmm. have been mentors and who have, you know, shown faith and uh, that we have learned from and that we have gleaned from. And to also remember that that we are to be that for other people who are younger than us or or, um, newer Christians in the Mm -hmm. faith than us. Um, that we are to be building in that way, in a generational way, but we're also right now being built together. Right. It's something that should be cohesive. But and that um, and and to push it even further, and we will be built. Yeah. In the example he uses, the temple and Christ is the chief cornerstone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about the tabernacle here, but well, it's the same there. same idea. Yep. Well, yeah. he also uses in Ephesians a lot of the the metaphor of the body mm-hmm. and one of the ones that really hit me was um, it talks about um, he gives us the, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to m- the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ mm-hmm. and to me that phrase just hit me that idea of Growing up <laughs> to maturity. Who's the we so all? So that we, we all, yeah. as those who, who believe in Christ. Yeah. But, but the, the idea of, of unity and that it's, that we all need to, to encourage one another along, that it's not just a, oh, I'm doing this, so I'm growing to be more like Christ. It's we all mm-hmm. are supposed to grow. But just this idea of, I sort of have this mental image of of Christ in that as we mature, we're supposed to look more and more like him individually mm-hmm. and then 
and corporately also we're supposed to look corporately and then that also if we look more like him individually and corporately then that should naturally lead to an increase Mm. of the lost world actually thinking there might be something different and something Mm. that's actually real Mm. about who Jesus is so yes anyway um, this is something that's hard for me to wrap my brain around okay because of where I come from um Um, I come from a background where you felt really, really guilty if you didn't lead people to Christ like every Mm. single week. Mm. Um, And I struggled so much with it growing up. I'm not going to lie, today just kind of a light bulb went on. It's like you don't have to. Um, And so the struggle is, from where I come from, it's all about numbers. Mm. If you're not growing the church, then there's something wrong with you. Mm. And about, like I said, I've struggled with that and the fact that I can't do anything about it. Like, yeah. yes, I can be faithful and yes, I can obey Christ by sharing the gospel, but sorry, I feel like a burden has been lifted off. There's a, there's a sign that I've seen in just about every Baptist church in Southern America. And it's usually on, on, the, on the, 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 the side of the baptistry. Numbers baptized, Numbers in attendance, numbers attending Sunday school, right? And and if we look at the numbers, and yeah, they never put the number on the actual roll, and they never do percentages, um, because it's just that idea. If we're not, if we don't have the mathematical support to show that we're a Christian, then we're not really one. But there's also a building up, like we were talking about, mm. into maturity. Right. That, We're called that, to make disciples, not just converts. Right. right. But it's that burden that yeah. I have yeah. to do it all. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're talking about. I, I grew up the same with the same kind of um, pressure. I, I don't know what else to call it. Of of if you're not actively converting people, if you're not if you're not somehow reaching spiritually into their head and flipping a switch, yes, exactly. then you're not really. That's Christ's work. That's the Spirit's work. We're called to be faithful. We're called to be faithful. And as we're faithful, He gives the increase as He has designed. He's purchased them, those whom He's calling. Be free to share it. And don't feel this, if I don't convert, I'm not going to be able to put the number on the side of the baptistry in the Baptist church. I don't know if Methodists have that. Do they have that? No? They don't have a baptistry. They don't have a baptistry. Yeah. So they've got their little rain tree thing that's doing this, you know. Um, I don't know. That's, that's not funny. Don't laugh at that. That's not funny at all. Um, yes, yes. This is such a secular idea that carries over into our church today. We have mommy wars over the fact that people cling to one verse that says, train up the child in the way they should have when they're returning. I mean, it's not on... As yours to be faithful and do your best job as parenting, you have no control over their soul. And that's why I like the trace of God's sovereignty in the Ephesians 2.10 verse 2 that he says, You are created in workmanship to do good works which he has prepared in advance for you to do. It's like, he said it. Your job to be faithful should take a burden off of us to just go out there and get the works he already said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's real easy to fall in. It's a, it's a worldly mindset. You're right. It's, 
to, to fall into, I've got to be doing something. I've got to be on the Christian Forbes 100 list, you know, of, of what I've built. And for Right. Right. And rather than setting that to do list for the day, I think praying, God, today's your day. How do you want me to use this day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Help me to be, you know, open to being flexible to what mm-hmm. you want to happen this day. Where do you want this piece because of furniture set today? <laughs> that happen may inconvenience right. you. Almost always say inconvenience you. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know, being being willing to see the bigger picture. Yeah. We're good. If it were dependent upon me. To, to save people, if I, if I were committed to the idea that someone's eternal des- destiny depended on my persuasiveness, on the clothes I wore, the way I styled my hair, um, if it depended on me to do those things, if they're eternal, de- I'd be in the corner in the fetal position in a nosebleed, with a nosebleed. I mean, the, I couldn't handle that kind of pressure. That's crazy. There's only one person who can, and that's Christ. And He did. And He's done it. And we have to trust Him in the work that He's doing and just be free to share it. Whatever the consequences, just be free to share. So, all right. Um, yeah. I wanted to, I guess, bring the thought to Tammy was talking about the building of the body and how kind of anti American it is. We're all about chasing that career and doing everything. Kind of a radical idea, isn't it? Right. Yeah, it's a world upside down. Good. Any other comments? We've got at least another 15 minutes since it's 10:15. It's not not a problem at all. Uh, I'll I'll pray then. Father, thank you for the the freedom that we have in Christ. That He's done all the work. That everything that will be accomplished, he has already, He's already purchased through His life, death, burial, and resurrection. You've accepted it. You've seen it. You've blessed it. And you've commanded us to be part of the assembly. Thank you that we don't bear the sole responsibility for assembly. Thank you that the the finished work is created in Christ from before the foundation of the world and that your spirit does the heavy lifting for us and we just simply have to get the dinner to the table. The meal's already been prepared. Father, would would you remind us of that daily this week? Free us to open our mouths, not out of a fear of, uh, of not performing up to par, but out of a, a severe thankfulness and love for you and what you've done in us, both individually and as a body. That we just want to share. That we just want to snatch as many people out of the fire as we can. Not by our own effort, but because of of what you've done in Christ. Knowing that, those whom you've called, you will recreate. And you will draw them in. And we just want to see it happen. 
Thank you for the confidence that we have in sharing the gospel. Thank you for the confidence we have in discipling, and even though it is an up and down process, that we have periods of great growth in the gospel and great growth in the image building that you're doing in us to look like Christ, there are other times where it is, can be overwhelmingly sorrowful that we don't look like him like we should. But we have this hope that those whom you've called, you will conform to the image of Jesus. And we know that that's true individually. We know that that's true of our brothers and sisters in Christ sitting next to us. So help us to remain steadfast and faithful and stand on the confidence that we have in the finished work of Christ. Whether we are glorying in the work that you've done and can see the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, or whether we are sorrowful and fighting and to the point of despair, the sin that so easily besets us. God, give us hope. Maintain our faithfulness. Give us steadfastness to assemble this tabernacle that you set before us, knowing that we work because you're working in us. I'm thankful that it's so. In Christ's name, amen.